to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 14. We're going to look just at five verses today, verses 7 through 11. And as you make your way there, uh, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was growing up, one of my favorite days uh, were when my grandma and grandpa Ambler, my mom's parents, would come down and, and see us. And whenever they would come see us, their visit always included this big square Tupperware container. I don't know if you remember this, uh, but big square Tupperware container. And in it would be uh, row after row, separated by wax paper, of these orange shortbread cookies that she would make. And they were fantastic. Uh, if you put one on top of your head, your brains, your brains would get beaten out by your tongue for a taste. They're fantastic. Um, and she would also make uh, lemon meringue pie, and, um, and she would play games with us. And uh, when Grandma would play games, if it was cold outside, it was board games. If it was warm outside, that meant croquet. And I should tell you that my grandmother was a sweet, sweet and godly woman in most respects, but when it came to games, she was cutthroat. And she would always proceed the game by saying, well, now I don't know if I remember how to play this game. And she would ask us all to explain the rules again. And the first couple of times that that happened, I had enormous confidence. She doesn't even know how to play. I'm going to take Grandma to the cleaner. So we, play, we were going to play cro croquet, and I was just sure that I was going to have enormous fun sending Grandma's ball all about the, the, the neighborhood, right? And I said so loudly before the game began. Now, I have to tell you that I might have only been 10 years old, but my grandmother was not a believer in coddling younger people. And she whacked my ball all over the lawn with a big laugh, along with my sister's croquet balls. And we took a tour of the course, in fact. Um, and... Um, and we, we were still three wickets back when she made her way all the way to the end. And it was at that point that I learned that my grandmother was something of a croquet shark, if there is such a thing. And she had, she had played croquet every Sunday afternoon for years with her seven brothers and sisters. And she uh, loved us all dearly, but she was not above giving out a big slice of humble pie to go along with her homemade lemon meringue. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day, and that is that it is often best to keep quiet until the game is played. Because if you've got skills, those quickly become apparent. But if you get humbled, it's a whole lot easier to choke that down, right? Now, I bring this up today because the parable that we're looking at has a whole lot to do with humility, with learning to think of yourself in a way that uh, growing up to be a follower of Jesus requires. And so I want to invite you, uh, if you haven't found your way there yet, to turn to Luke 14. And as you get there, if you'd stand with me in honor of God's Word, if you're able and willing here to stand uh, as I read Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. And this is what the Word of God says. 
Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we confess as we come this morning to your word that we are not humble people. We are not people who enjoy being humbled. We are not people who enjoy serving one another. We are not people with great doses of humility. And yet, Father, we desire to follow the Lord Jesus, who though He was rich for our sake became poor, that we through His poverty might become very, very rich. And Father, we desire to become like the one we follow. So Father, I pray as we study your word this morning that you would be acted by your Holy Spirit through the word in us. That we might begin to reflect the image of the Son whom we know is Savior. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you look closely at the text, what you'll see there is that verse 7 begins with a line that requires us to look back and take a look at the context. It says, He told a parable to those who were invited, which ought to immediately cause us to ask a question. Invited to what? And if you look back at the beginning of the chapter, what you see is the answer, that Jesus has been invited to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. A ruler of the Pharisees. Now we're not told who this person is. Perhaps it was Nicodemus or maybe Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, The identity of the person is not really important, uh, which is why that detail is not supplied. But it does tell you where Jesus is and why he happens to be telling this story. He's at a dinner given by an important person one of the chief religious leaders in all of Judea. This is one of the big kahunas, if you will, in in Israelite community. And Jesus has been invited to this dinner. And a lot of other people are there too. And all of them are people just like all of us. And if you're important enough to get invited to a dinner at at, at the home of one of the leaders of your nation, you are probably eager to be close to the action. You want to be, as the song from Hamilton has it, in the room where it happens. Amen? And not just in the room where it occurs, you want to be involved in the conversation. You want to not just be important, you want to feel important. In the ancient context, the table would have been set in a U. And the, the host of the 
dinner would have sat at the right-hand side on the end so that he could look out and he could see everyone there at the table. And then people in descending order of rank and importance would be seated away from him so that the lowest-ranking person would be opposite the host. And keep in mind that everybody is seated, you know, they're not seated exactly, they're kind of laying on their left elbow. So if you're the person at the tail end of the of the row, who can you talk to? The guy next to you? And that's about it. And you can't actually even really see anybody else. Except your host. But you, you're, you're kind of in a place of little importance. And so, here at this party... All these important folks are there alongside Jesus. And they're all, Jesus can see them all kind of jockeying for spots of greater honor nearer to the host as they gather around the table. And Jesus then begins to tell this parable, the parable that I'm calling the, the parable of the lowest seat. In my Bible, it's called the parable of the wedding feast. Um, but call it what you want. Here's the story when you're invited to a wedding feast. Do not sit down at a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. That's no fun, right? Who wants to be publicly embarrassed? And as is so often the case, when it comes to Jesus' parables, this can be read or heard as just a story making a wise point. And I have to say that as a social strategy, it is pretty slick. Because Jesus is exactly right. If being publicly honored in front of other people is the goal, then pick dishonor initially. Pick dishonor initially. Because, in fact, pick the position of greatest dishonor from the beginning. Because, after all, if you pick a spot that's several spaces up the chain, what may happen? Your host might leave you there. And then you realize you're not all actually, actually all that important. right? But if you pick the, the position of greatest dishonor, even if you only move up a spot or two, you get honored publicly instead of embarrassed. You, instead of feeling ashamed and embarrassed, now you feel like, hey, I'm more important. And that's a better feeling, right? And you get the advantage of looking really humble. Which is always good, right? I mean, as a social strategy, like I say, this is pretty slick. Now look at verse 10 and 11 here. If you pick the place of greatest dishonor to begin with, what does verse 10 say? When you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of everyone who sits at table with you. Pick public dishonor now and you'll be publicly honored later. And on top of that, someone who 
took the place that rightfully belongs to you will have to move down. And that will mean dishonoring them and honoring you. You'll get to appear really humble, which is great, without the pain of enduring actual humility, which is no fun. Is that what this story is really about? Is it really about appearing, uh, how to be an effective social climber without appearing to be one? I don't think so. I doubt you'd be shocked to find out that I don't think so. But we know that Jesus is not greatly concerned with helping people achieve their dreams of social status and self-importance. Amen? It's not on His list. If that's what you decided to follow Jesus for, I hate to tell you this, but you're apt to be disappointed. What he's doing is something deeper. And he's using the situation here and people's desires for advancement in this present world to speak about how to live right now in this world so as to be greatly honored by God at the wedding supper of the Lamb that inaugurates Messiah's kingdom. Because after all, this isn't a wedding feast. So why does he say, think about a wedding feast? Because there's a wedding feast to come. On the day that Jesus inaugurates His kingdom. And just like Jesus' advice here is counterintuitive counsel, that the way to move up is to purposely move down, so too in the kingdom of God. The way to move up. If you want to achieve the highest level of honor available, then follow the example of Jesus in taking the place of greatest dishonor now. Choose Jesus' route to glory the route that is upside down from our perspective, but right side up from God's perspective, pick the pathway, in other words, of humbling yourself. For me, it's really impossible to understand what Jesus is talking about uh, in verse 10 without considering what Jesus Himself did for us. And let me just share with you how the Apostle Paul speaks of it in um, the, uh, his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2. This is what Paul says. Beginning of verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on cross. There's the descent. You see it? Servant, human, humility, Obedience, death, death on the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, please be aware, I'm not going to preach that passage in all of its intricacies here this morning. To do so would take much more time than we have. But note that Jesus, when He is speaking here in, in Luke 14, is not preaching to the crowd about things that He Himself has no experience with. He is not, in other words, giving a discussion that amounts to essentially a chalk talk on the theory behind humility. This is God in the flesh speaking about what it means to humble yourself. By the way, I don't know how high and mighty you might think of yourself as being. Right? I hope none of you when pulled over by the cops have ever said, do you know who I am? <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's not a good look. It's a sure way to get a ticket. Right? But, but think about who it is that Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. He is the person through whom everything in creation, everything, in creation, owes its existence as it came into the world through Him. Everything. This Pharisee thinks himself as pretty important, but who outranks him by a lot? Jesus. The guy who is there wearing all of the clothes that he owns. Jesus is there visiting this guy in his fancy house. Did Jesus have a house? No. In fact, he said to someone who would follow him that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Even though foxes have holes in the ground and birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Humble? Yeah. You bet. And he is preaching about the fact that of, of what he himself is already doing in that very moment. He was and he is God, yet he descended to be a servant, to take on a human nature, and then eventually to not to die not merely a death like every other human being, but the most shameful death imaginable, death on a cross. Now, we usually cover Jesus up in artwork. Well, when you were crucified, you were crucified naked in the open along a road where everybody could see you. As you lost control of your bodily functions, as you lost the ability to breathe, and as you eventually suffocate to death. It's a humiliating way die. In fact, it was considered so humiliating that Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Did you know that? It was a death for slaves and the lowest of criminals. Jesus dies that way. Crucifixion was devised, after all, not just to kill someone, but to shame and humiliate them publicly. 
And that's why, by the way, Christianity in the beginning had not very many converts among the wealthy and powerful. And why it's still hard for them to come to faith. Because Christianity is the way of the cross. It is the way of humility. And it seems a little weak, doesn't it? To worship as God, a guy who got killed in such a shameful way and then celebrated. But our answer to that is to remind people that's only half the story. After his ignominious, shameful, humiliating death, Jesus was raised again to life. And not just to life, but to glory and exaltation. His name is the one before every person before every person will bow. When Jesus' name is said, every person on the earth, under the earth, in other words, people who are dead, people exalted into heaven, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every name, every person at the name of Jesus will bow and confess that he to the glory of God the Father. In other words, though Jesus is indeed God in the flesh, He receives from God the Father greater glory than any person ever has. His, his Godhood remained constant through the whole thing. But in some way, he has greater exaltation because no mere human could receive this kind of glory. Now look at verse chapter 14 of Luke there and verse 11 again. See what Jesus says here? Everyone who exalts himself be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Now let me ask you a rhetorical question here. You can answer if you want. Is Jesus talking about how to gain honor at a party? No. He is using that to teach about how to get honored by God at the party. Not at any old gathering of sinners. But at the party, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the way to gain honor there is the same as Jesus says to gain honor here. The way up is down. The way to glory is the road of humility. How do we do that? Well, first, we need to believe in Jesus as not just a good teacher or a religious leader or a moral example, but as what the Scriptures indeed say that He is, that He is the Son of God who came in the flesh, who was humiliated in His life and in His death on the cross for our sins, and who was raised to glorious new life, that all who believe in Him might receive the same kind of eternal life. You see, to become a Christian is, in fact, the first step on a road to humility, right? 
Because in order to come to God, you've got to admit something scandalous, that you, in fact, are a sinner. And that were it not already for the grace of God, you would already be in hell on a rocket ship. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but there is nothing, not one thing, that you can do that impresses God in the slightest. You cannot, by your good deeds, do anything to gain entry into heaven. All our righteousness, Isaiah says, is as filthy rags. And so you, you can't bring to God your stuff and say, aren't you impressed? Because He will not be. Your list of accomplishments, your church attendance, your giving, your whatever, your boxes of Girl Scout cookies you bought, um, I'm not sure if that's a good deed or a sin. But, <laughs> but in any case, you can't bring that stuff to God and say, I should get into heaven because look at all the good deeds I've done. No, you have to come to God and say to Him, I am a sinner. And if you are just in your judgment, you send me help to hell right now. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins in my place. That He took the penalty I deserve. And though I am a sinner deserving only of death and hell, I'm asking that you make me your son. And you know the amazing thing? God does exactly that. But it requires a level of humility to get through the door into the Father's house. Amen? And then, after that, we continue to humble ourselves like Jesus did. Just like Philippians 2 describes it, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but consider other people more important than yourself. It's a way of life of looking not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of other people. A way of thinking that we adopt, which is ours if we belong to Christ. It says that what I want, what I desire, what I need is not the most significant thing in the world, but that obedience to God and living for His glory and doing His will, these are the most important things. Anyway. And most significantly of all, it is being willing to follow after Him in suffering and shame and humiliation and even to death if it comes to that. I don't know if you've noticed of recent, uh, the social status of Christians has diminished somewhat. We are not even the majority in this country. Never mind the most popular group of folk. Amen? And that's okay. That is no great problem. In fact, that is normal for Christians throughout time and history. So we are just now catching up to reality in the rest of the world. <laughs> okay. 
To follow Jesus is to follow the path of humility. To follow the path of shame. To follow the path of lowered social status. And to embrace it. Not because we love all those things, but because we love Jesus. And that's the way that he went. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And so, as Hebrews says, we follow him outside the city, bearing the disgrace he bore. Amen? Now, some of you may be wondering at this point, if all this talk of humility leading to glory isn't all in the end a bit selfish. I mean, I want glory, don't you? Is that selfish? No. Jesus doesn't ever say that. Instead, He teaches us how to get the sort of glory that lasts, that is worth the cost of humbling yourself. Because the same way that he in the parable points us to a reality that our self-chosen path of humility is only temporary and then ends with honor, so it is with eternity. This life, men and women, is only temporary. This life is only temporary. I don't know how long it's going to be. You might get your three score in ten, you might check out in 10. You don't know. But however long it lasts, the ride does not go on forever. But you know what does? What glory you gain following Jesus for eternity. Those who humble themselves now by believing in and following Jesus and in so doing, learning to lay your life down for other people, you know what you get? Lasting glory of God. Glory that lasts and is enjoyed through all eternity. The Scripture talks about crowns, white stones, with a secret name shared between you and Jesus. Things like that. A rewards for a life lived like Jesus. Those who live for their own glory now do not retain it though. The old Latin phrase is sic hasit gloria mundi. Thus passes the glory of the world. president may be the most powerful leader in world history and hear hail to the chief for years. But there is a day coming for every one of those people when the music ends and his power is taken away. You may, if you become queen, ride around in a golden carriage your entire life. But it ends with you in a box. They are all as transient as spots at the head of a table at the wedding feast. But if you humble yourself before God now, by faith in Christ 
and living for His glory at the cost of your own, then at the resurrection, your honor before God will not pass away. So, choose wisely, my friends. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, I know and love these people. I know and love them all. And Father, I know that they love You and they desire to live for Your honor and glory. But Father, I know that often our own pride, our own selfishness pushes You off the stage and elbows You off the throne of our hearts and minds. Father, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you. I pray, first of all, that if there's anyone here who's never put their trust in Jesus Christ, that they would make that initial step of humility coming in through the narrow gate that leads to life, lay themselves before you and admit they're a sinner whose only hope of salvation is faith. And then following that, they would join the rest of us in bowing our hearts before You, Father, not just at salvation, but in every day. As we come with opportunities to serve one another, and to look after one another, and to look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of other people, and to live a life of serving Serving now that we might serve Christ with great honor for all eternity. Father, help us choose wisely. Let the passing glory of the world pass us by and pass away as it always does. And to trade all that for the lasting glory of eternity with Christ. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.